Are you curious about the inner workings of your brain and how it affects your life? In this episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, a Harvard-trained neuroanatomist and renowned author who shares her personal journey of stroke recovery and how it became a catalyst for her extraordinary insights into the inner workings of the brain. She explains the difference between our right and left hemispheres and how there are four parts that lead to four characters living within us and emphasizes the importance of recognizing and differentiating these parts of ourselves to make choices in how we want to be and show up in the world. We also talk about the importance of nurturing all four characters in our newborns and in our young people. She breaks down myths about the brain, why the emotional part of the brain is so crucial for learning and growing and our own survival. She explains the 90-second rule, the usefulness of breath work to connect with the present moment, the impact of these four characters in relationships, and a simple tool to handle conflicts. We talk about how to deal with anger and rage, the importance of creating healthy boundaries and how to do it, taking responsibility of your choices and the energy you bring into any situation and being able to apologize, what to do when you feel discouraged or you are in the path of mastering something and it gets hard. She also shares her insights on using art as a tool to pull oneself out of negative emotions. Listen to the full episode to gain a deeper understanding of your own brain and how to live a more fulfilling life. Learn how to bring all four characters of the brain into a conversation and how to recognize and differentiate them in order to make choices in how you want to be. Become more well-rounded and exercise your own personal freedom. Join me as we explore the concept of whole brain living with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different life events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce an extraordinary guest, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, a Harvard-trained neuroanatomist and renowned author with a profound understanding of the human brain and an incredible personal journey. She brings unique insight into the working of our most complex organ, the brain, and she was driven by a personal connection to this subject due to her brother's diagnosis of schizophrenia. However, at the age of 37, she suffered a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, losing her ability to walk, talk, read, write, and even remember any aspects of her life. This altering experience became a catalyst for her extraordinary insights into the inner workings of the brain. But I'm going to let her tell you everything herself. So help me in welcoming Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you. Me too. You know, I've been actually talking so much about the things that you teach in your book. I've been talking about you in many of the trainings that I've done. So it's so wonderful to have you here. And I think, you know, what you bring into the world is just so unique. So I'm really happy. And I know you've probably told your story a thousand times, but some of my listeners don't know you yet. So would you tell us a little bit about your story, which is amazing? 
Yes, thank you. First of all, I'm I'm thrilled to be here, and thank you for the work that you do. Uh, and we align very well, so so I'm grateful for that. So um, my story is I I grew up to study the brain because I have a brother who is 18 months older than I, who would eventually be diagnosed with the brain disorder schizophrenia. And as a little girl, I noticed that, you know, he and I would have the exact same experience, but we'll walk away with very different interpretations about what happened. Uh, for example, uh, let's say we were out playing kickball in the, the yard and the ball goes into the street and uh, our mother is throwing a fit. And um, I'm interpreting this as as fear uh, that we're going to hurt ourselves. And he's interpreting this as anger. So uh, so just these little subtle differences in the way we perceive our experiences. And then um, so I grew up to study the brain and he would eventually then be diagnosed with the brain disorder, schizophrenia. Um, so I was all about how does our brain create our perception of reality? And uh, then I was teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School. And um, I ended up having a hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I got to watch my own left hemisphere completely go offline. So by the afternoon, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. I became an infant in a woman's body. And then it took uh, four years for me to, uh, eight years for me to completely uh, recover all skills. So, so that's my story in a nutshell. And it's, uh, you know, brain anatomy uh, through the academic world, as well as then through a personal experiential, not just of losing it, but then of having to rebuild it. Uh, and um, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Yeah, a quick summary, very quick. Yeah, but I think it, you know, I, I feel so many connections because one of my best, best friends from school, her brother was diagnosed with schizophrenia at the age of 21. And I remember seeing the change, how it affected the whole family and how it changed uh, the life of him. And I used to think how, how, you know, when some body limb doesn't function well, it's understandable. But when the brain doesn't function well, it's hard for the person to understand and for the people around to understand. Um, right. So how do you trust, you know, an organ that needs to take the control of the whole thing? You know, I think it's, it's uh, for me, it's also fascinating to understand how it works. Now, what I was impressed is the last book that you also wrote, which is amazing, which I'm devouring back and forth and I still read because you divide the brain in um, the four parts. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how the characters play a role in how we interpret life and how, you know, how they go? Because that I'm Absolutely. fascinated by that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, when we think about ourselves as a biological creature, there are reptiles and we have the sophistication that the reptile had, which is essentially our brain stem and our spinal cord. And these are on off switches. So we're hungry, we eat, we're not hungry anymore. Um, so when you when you look at reptiles, it's pretty much on off. And the difference between then a reptile and a mammal is the addition of some new tissue on top. And it's bilateral. We have two sides, bilateral. 
And we end up with these two different modules of emotional tissue. And the difference between these two modules is that one in the right hemisphere, that the right hemisphere is right here, right now. And the left hemisphere, these cells are miraculous in that they can take experience of the present moment, step out of the present moment and go into our past and say, have we ever experienced anything like this in the past so that I should push it away? Alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't want that in my life. So we end up with two alarm, alarm, alert, alert systems, two amygdala, two hippocampi, two cingulate gyri, portions, cellular groups of cells of the emotional limbic tissue. And then the, in the human, the difference between us and other mammals is the addition of yet new tissue on top, which would be then that thinking tissue. So we have thinking tissue in the right hemisphere, right here, right now, thinking, and then we have thinking in the left hemisphere related to that emotional system of the past and of the future. So we end up with these two emotional groups of cells and these two thinking groups of cells at a neuroanatomical level. And each of these groups of cells do very specific things. They have very specific skill sets and they end up looking like four very distinctive and identifiable personalities in all of us. So the better we get to know each of these four personalities, then we can gain the ability to pick and choose in any moment who and how we wanna be. I know that when I was reading the book, I was thinking like, oh my God, that's my brother. Oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's... And I love how you break it like in, in the different areas of life so that in some areas you may have more one character more you know, active and in another area, another right. one. How do we get to be like more of one personality than another? You know, they say we have this, you know, when we grew up, there's the first seven years and then the next seven and then until we reach 25 and then the brain changes. How does that affect these four characters and why is one more prominent than another one? Do you know? You know, I have uh, uh, the, the interesting thing. So, okay. So first of all, the egg cell, Let's go back in history, right? The egg cell that would that we would ultimately become evolved from, in addition to a sperm from our dad, that egg cell took life, gained life in our mother's body during her fifth week of gestation, her fifth week. So she's hanging out in grandma's womb. And during the fifth week, the little eggs, as, as her cells are multiplying and dividing, the egg cells take form in the fifth week. So the little cell that is going to grow up to be me lives for the next eight months, uh, hopefully, in our grandmother's womb. And then we are hanging out in our, our mother's ovary throughout her whole life until she um, uh, ovulates us. Right. So we're hanging out in a whole lot of of maternal life, grandma's life, whatever influenced grandma. If grandma was drinking alcohol, we were probably feeling some of that alcohol. Uh, if um, our mother was a smoker, then, you know, there would be a depletion of oxygen. We would have been impacted by what was going on. So so by the time we're born, uh, we already have some genetic 
profiling the detail, but then we also have physiology that was familiar to grandma and mama. And at the same time, if I'm born and I, I have, for some reason, the circuitry in my right right emotional tissue has had a more uh, neurotransmitter buildup, more energy flow to that, then I'm going to become more of that character than if it's going to be my left thinking tissue. So, you know, as we look at little people, each of these four characters we are born as, and it becomes pretty easy to identify, okay, you know, within a month to two months to three months, what is the predominant personality profile? But there's four of us. There's four different modules of cells. So nurturing all four characters in our newborns and in our young people is really important because that way then they get to know these different parts of themselves. They all have different skill sets that are of value you and then our we can grow up to be more more well-rounded whole brain people so it's it's crucial then to really make all of them work together since we're very little and then you become oh, yeah, more, yeah. right yeah, yeah absolutely because you know we we are human and yeah. so if i'm only using a quarter of my brain you know the myth is that we're only using 10 percent of our brain well that's simply not true neurons yeah. are are living socialized creatures if if it's alive and it's in your head you're using it so um but you may have a tendency to to be more of that alpha type personality that that likes everything in order it likes to categorize it likes to be the boss it likes to control people places and things or you might spend more time being more melancholic you may be not real happy all the time you may be very pessimistic and always looking for the worst because give me a reason to push away the present moment because it, it brings up my pain from my past or i might be really creative and and constantly in my i could be a little dancer or i could be uh very artistic or i could be very musical you know whatever it is very in my body in the present moment or i could just be really very just observing and philosophical and and open to what is and um uh you know living in a deep sense of gratitude so having all of them and knowing we're wired for all let's exercise all four of them so that we then can pick and choose moment by moment who and how we want to be so that we can really exercise our own personal freedom yeah and i love because you have a very creative side and you even do stained glass i saw and and uh, and then at the same time you have a very scientific mind and i feel very connected to that because i studied computer engineering and then i became a dance instructor so <laughs> there you go yeah, same but, thing isn't it <laughs> yeah and i think it's funny because then you get perceived so different whether you you bring up one character which is the more creative crazy one and then the other one which just seems to be more serious which is also creative but is in a different way and so then time to go to work <laughs> yeah, exactly. time to go to work and we can be very creative in yeah. our but you know there are people who the left brain is not not it's not designed for creativity uh and and it is designed for based on conditions so i'm happy if you know everything is going my way 
and I'm unhappy if something is not going my way, where the right brain doesn't really care. It's just, you know, woohoo, whatever it is, it is. Um, and and but but in those of us that have developed both of the hemispheres, we get the big picture, and then you go into engineering or or computer science or brain science or whatever, and you you bring in the details, and then you go back to the big picture and think possibility, and then you go back into the detail. And so the creativity really infuses a certain level of genius into the production of the left brain. But you have to have both in order to be able to find that level of uh, creative genius in work. And can, can you share a little bit then what are the four characters so people can know a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we have then emotional tissue and thinking tissue in each hemisphere. And I call uh, the left thinking tissue, character one, and the left emotional tissue character two. And the thing about the left brain is it is designed to look at specific detail, detail, more details about those details. And it's wired for language. And so we're, we don't just have information, but we have language for those. And we have language saying, I, I am, I am an individual. I am Joe Bolte Taylor. I exist. I am real in that left hemisphere. So the whole universe evolves in the left hemisphere around us, me, the individual. It's that ego center. And then the ego center for character one is, is uh, how do I take this mass of what I am as an organic creature and relate me to the external world? And how can I control the external world so that I fit into it? And so it organizes and it categorizes and it names things and and um, uh, it likes to control people, places, and things. And, and it likes order. It creates order out of disorder. And it's designed um, so that, you know, it cares. Where is my stapler? It belongs right here, right? Everything has its place. And it functions well when everything is in order because we don't function as, as very well generally in chaos. Some people do, but most of us, we have this advantage then of working inside of order. So character one is the portion of us that goes to work and it runs a to-do list and it gets stuff done and it defines what is the social norm and how do I take me and stick me into the social norm so that I fit in. That's character one, right? That's yeah. character one. And, then, and it has a past and it has a future. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then so the emotion then of character two is all the pain from my past. And all the pain from my past is there so that I can look at the present moment. And if there's something in the present moment, I can compare that with everything that ever gave me pain in the past. And I can say, no, that's a danger. That's a threat. Push it away. I don't want it. Alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe. And that's really important because it is through the reflection upon that pain from the past that we can we can learn and we can actually grow across time. Because if we don't have that, then we don't learn and we can yeah. just, you know, reinvent the wheel every time we're bumping our heads up against something. And it's like so we have to have that little character to pain from the past 
a lot of us have been in analysis for 30 years to, you know, routinize and look at it, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to look at it and routinize and routinize. It's to look at it, to recognize what is it about this that brings me pain and then to be able to heal that pain, which really means transforming it into something that is, I will recognize it in the future, I can move on now, and I can pull my energy out of my pain of the past into these other characters inside of me and and live in the, the, the reality of those lessons. And so they become lessons rather than a lifestyle. So that's kind of, I mean, we can say that we're here, humanity has gotten to here because of character too, because that's the one saying, that's a lion, let's run away. We're not going to go and chase a lion again. And right. that, that's exactly. the one that us safe until, you know, until we're here in 2020. Exactly. Exactly. We have to have that pain from the past. As many of us who, who you know, because of the way biology has it, we really are feeling creatures who think rather than that. thinking creatures who feel. So we can't just squash those that pain from the past down, because if we do that, we never learn from those lessons. We never grow. And we as humans, we are meant to learn from our experiences be able to compare the experience of the present to the past so that then we can predict a future that is free of that specific pain. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's, that's yeah. a powerful character. Yeah. It's powerful. And, and, you know, for, 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 yeah, I mean, a lot of people say, boy, I just like to, you know, cauterize that part of my brain. And it's like, Oh no, you have, we have to have that in order to learn. Yeah. I think the only thing will be, you know, when you talk about the huddle and how like bringing the four characters into a conversation, I think the only thing that I could think of is when that one is very active, it's hard to bring them into the conversation. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the character that will say, I'm not listening to everybody. <laughs> you know? That's exactly why we practice it when it's not triggered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, because this is the part of ourselves that, that if we get emotionally triggered, boom, it is right. And it's going to get big and ugly and it's going to fight or it's going to flee. Right. Or it's going to go freeze and play dead and act like it never happened. Right. So um, but but this part of ourselves, when we have that, uh, when we are emotionally triggered and it's yelling and screaming or it's hiding in fear, um, it, we're dysregulated. Period. We're dysregulated. The other three characters are still regulated, and we can use that energy in order to help bring this character back online. But that's when we really the most need to realize I'm not alone here. I'm not completely vulnerable to this train wreck I have now become, and I don't have to spew venom on everybody else, and I don't have to blame everybody else. I don't have to yell and scream, or I don't have to go and hide for the next 30 years from any emotional relationships that looked anything like that one did, whatever it is. Um, to to so, so recognizing that most of the time this part of us is okay. Little character two most of the time is fine. And if we if we practice this brain huddle when and acknowledge when little character two is fine, then it's like, well, then we really can differentiate between when little character two is not fine and needs us the most 
and character two is fine. And it actually strengthens the other circuits because the more often you run a circuit, the stronger that circuitry becomes. So we can train ourselves to actually say, you know, yeah, right now I'd really like to stay mad at you, but mm, I'd rather go jump in the lake for a little while and cool down. And would yeah. it be fair to say that if you, for example, breathe, you're giving a little space for the other three to show up and mm -hmm. to, you know, so that you have the time to, to bring the other ones and not just listen to the one, the character too. Exactly. And part of that is because breath is in the right here, right now, present moment. Yeah. So as soon as I focus on my breath, I've automatically now I'm observing my character two circuitry as opposed to simply engaging with it and rerunning it and rerunning it and rerunning it. Because a typical emotional loop only takes about 90 seconds. So from the moment I get triggered and I run a physiological loop inside of my blood, from, from the moment I, I trigger to something has gone into my blood and flushed out of my blood takes less than 90 seconds. So now I, of course, can stay angry for hours if I keep thinking the thought that re-stimulates the, the emotional negative loop. Uh, but just knowing that and knowing that I can now observe myself having these reactivities does it, it pulls the energy and the power away from that character so that i can actually have some say in who and how i want to be and is that character can we say that it it's uh like a, like a child like when we were a child does that character grow up or or does it always um no, <laughs> no it never grows up <laughs> no, because the both of the emotional, the emotion of, of character two of the pain from the past and then character three in the right brain is now the child of the present moment. And these two, the emotional cells have taken position and are in action by the time we're born so that we're we're able to to, you know, uh, defend ourselves in the present emotionally, that's why we yell and scream, uh, but those cells never mature. So um, that's where thinking comes in. Then we gain rational thought and we actually can mature. And these then become our adult selves. So we think about our inner children. Uh, we have two. We have one that is a, the inner pain from the past. And then we have the inner child in the present moment. And they know they never grow up. So, um, uh, you know, that's uh, that's a price that we pay for them to to keep us safe because what they're really doing is pushing pain away or pushing threat away so that we can survive so the character three is is that the one that is more fun and crazy or does it always does it also ex, uh, experience like pain and and these type of fears or that's more the two well the pain anything that that reminds me of my pain from my past is character two Okay. But I still have the emotional tissue of the right hemisphere right here, right now. So the right hemisphere is going to be character three, which is the emotion and then an experiential. And then character four is that right thinking tissue of the present moment. And I, me, the individual, I don't exist in my right hemisphere. When I lost my left hemisphere, Jubilee Taylor, she just died that day. She absolutely completely disappeared because that group of cells that says, I, me, I begin here, I end here. This is me. These, this is not me, uh, was gone. So any definition of self was 
was gone in the stroke. But in the right here, right now, I literally had no perception of where I begin and where I end. I was a big energy ball around these amazing 50 trillion cells that do everything. I mean, I, I, I have eyes that can see and muscles that can move. And oh my gosh, I even have bladder capacity. I mean, oh my gosh, talk about a wonder, right? What a good plan that was. So, um, so right here, right now, character three, the experience of the present moment, what does it feel like in the present moment? How much humidity is there in the air? What does it feel like to have my clothing pushing on my body? What does it feel like when I dive into the water and I feel the pressure and the temperature against my body? And what does it feel like? Just what position is my body in and how am I holding myself and the relationship between my brain and body? The character three is not about the character one, right, wrong, good, bad. So everything is whatever it is. So it's open and it's expansive and it's creative and it's innovative and it's adventurous and it's it's experimental and it's just like, woohoo, it's right here, which also means that I may engage in things that don't fit into the social norm, which means I may end up, character three may end up putting us in jail because we're just doing whatever we're doing and we're not all about right, wrong, good, bad, right? So, uh, you know, that that concept of, you know, I did something and mom says, well, what were you thinking? And it's like, well, clearly I wasn't right. Clearly, character one was not functioning. I was just having a who. Right. So character three is that experience. I'm sorry. No, no. Responsibility. I was saying it's not there. It's not in that character. <laughs> no responsibility in character three. Exactly. And then character four is this just this awareness, this awareness of life. Oh my gosh, I am this miraculous collection of cells. And I'm not just a single celled organism. I have 50 trillion cells that work together as a multicellular creature that allows me to have all of the potential of everything that I am as a living being. And there's a sense of awe and this sense of wonder and this sense of gratitude that I exist at all. And that's the character for that we, we try to, to meditate, to find or pray to find. And because there is no boundary between me and everything, I am energy. And wherever you are in the world, it doesn't matter. You're an energy being having a physical experience, as am I. And there's no boundary except in the left hemisphere about where we begin and where we end. So we really are one human family. And we in relationship with this beautiful planet that we have a relationship with. Yeah. So when we meditate and try to get to this other state, we're really connecting with that. Uh, right brain with character four it was just kind of, exactly. kind of like shutting off everything else and just letting character four speak and and be there right yeah and just be there and you know people say well how do i get there and well what are the obstacles to being my character four is is the need for my character one to be right and to have language and to talk about things and to analyze things and to detail, detail, detail. So quiet that character one and then the pain from my past of character two and all of our emotions that are highs and lows, quiet those storms of, of emotion.
nutrition. And then three wants to get in my body and be active and do, 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 and allow that stillness to simply shift into the experience of awe of, oh my gosh, as I look at the leaves on the trees and as the leaves are in movement, that I, I expand to a bigger, broader picture, not the focus or the analysis. And, and I become the energy, the energy that is moving those those limbs. So, uh, you know, there are different ways that people find to get there. But I find that, you know, when people know where they're going, they can get there quicker and easier and recognize when they are there so that it doesn't become, oh, I meditated for 30 years and I found bliss twice. And it's like, well, here, let me help you with that. Because if you know where you're going, you can feel it more often, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and how was it for you? Because if you had all your left brain off for a while and you were living in, in bliss, you know, and feeling this wholeness, how was it for you to come back and to have your left brain? And I know you tell this in the book a little bit, but how, you know, if you can tell us a little bit, how was this experience? Um, if fear, you know, when the character two came on with fear, how was that for you? What was that experience? Well, character two and character three. So character two for me, uh, the pain from my past, that character died. And um, so I don't have any of my emotion, um, the emotional content of my first 37 years. Now, it rebooted itself and it said, okay, we're going to wash that clean and we're going to start over again. So for the last, you know, what, 25 years now since I had that stroke, I do have emotions for that block. Um, but fear, you know, I didn't know what these deep emotions were. And so as as fear and, and emotional pain and anger came back online, I would have to describe to my mother what it felt like inside of my body. My chest felt tight, my jaw clamped, the furrow in my brow, uh, you know, just, just, I was sweating, I was, my fists, I, and Gigi, my mother said, you know, Jill, that's anger. Uh, and it was like, ooh, yuck, you know, <laughs> feels horrible. Why would anybody ever purposely feel this, right? So um, so, so I got it, but I, I had to, you know, each of these emotions is its own constellation of physiological response. And um, when I, I, I was experiencing fear and learning fear, my, my heart was palpating, I was sweating, I, I felt light in the head, I felt, I felt go, 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 rush, rush, rush. I felt like I was, I was in, uh, you know, uh, uh, on a jet going a million miles an hour on a bullet through space and just just this feeling and it was like jill that's fear and it's like fear Ooh, yuck you know I <laughs> but but i had to relearn what these were so that because these are cells these are cells and circuits and these groups of circuits would get stimulated and then i would have these physiological responses depending on which neurotransmitter was dumped into my bloodstream depending on which 
which uh, neurotransmitter. So I think it's uh, important really for people to realize we're this magnificent collection of cells and every ability we have is because we have these brain cells that are performing that function right down to our anger or right down to our fear or right down to our anxiety or right down to our joy and, and, and paying attention to ourselves and each of our abilities and these different skill sets of these different different four characters allows us to observe ourselves and then begin to differentiate more and more who and how we want to be. Am I, am I who I want to be in this moment? Well, in this moment, it's not appropriate for me to pull off my shirt and go jump in the lake, right? So that would be my little character three. It's appropriate for me to stay in my character one until our time has come and passed and then can you know rip off my shirt and go jump in the lake so so but but just negotiating watching the negotiations between these four characters inside of ourselves is so enlightening and especially when we realize then that means that in every relationship there is eight of us and no wonder our relationships are so stressful and so difficult because you're my character ones, we might get along really well. And our character threes might get along really well. But if I turn into my character two all of a sudden and I start criticizing you, well, then, you know, your little character two might come back at me with your character two or your character one might say, you know, Joe, that's actually a, a good point. I think I'll work on that. Um, or or not, right? Yeah, <laughs> and now yeah. you don't like me anymore because, well, you know, on a podcast, she said she dissed me pretty bad, right? <laughs> and it's like, so, so looking at the dynamics of each of these four characters in the people we love, the people we work with, the strangers we come across, uh, because we're all always exhibiting our four characters. And I have, uh, you know, family for sure that, you know, they tell me, you know, my, my anger is always out of control. And I think now a lot about this and I tell them all, you know, the four characters and so forth. And you need to practice when you're not mad because that's not the point. Once you're mad, then just go with it. You know, just, <laughs> that's not the time to practice it's before that. But some, some of my, my family, they say, you know, but anger is so strong. So how do you deal with things like that, you know? very strong anger and very strong fear. So of course it's strong because it's a group of cells. And the the problem is, is probably not that the circuits are so strong. It's what you're doing as you output those. You know, if I'm angry and I keep it to myself and I realize that all of my emotional circuits are gonna run for 90 seconds, so how do I set myself up for success? Okay, let's say I'm hanging out with you. You say something to me. It triggers me emotionally. I, I have a choice to make, right? I can throw my fist into the wall. I can yell at you. I can walk away and never talk to you again. Uh, or if I'm in relationship with you, I can walk away from you and say, I'll see you in 20 minutes. Uh, and pull myself away. So we are, we're already making these decisions along the way. We get in trouble when it's like we give our permit ourselves permission to act out our worst selves with one another. If I give myself permission to yell and scream at you, okay, that was a choice that somewhere along the line, I decided that my relationship with you 
allows me to yell and scream at you. But I don't know you. Today's the first day I've met you. So the likelihood that you would yell and scream at me is probably really, really low. Unless you happen to be like in the U.S. in public. (laughs) Because now, all of a sudden, we're doing that, right? We have been given permission to act out as our worst little character twos, unhappy selves in public at one another, where before it was not socially acceptable. So our characters one, two, three, and four inside of our own head are making some decisions. So you might decide that you're not going to yell at these people anymore. You're just going to walk away. They have to then uh, allow that that change to happen and not just hold you to your acting out self. Okay. So, and then if you're trigger happy, then at some point in the quiet, in the quietness of your own self, in the quietness of you being in a safe place, you really need to look at that and say, what is that trigger and what does it mean? And what am I hearing? And what am I saying to myself? And why does that feel like death? Why does that feel like that is so horrible? I'm going to unleash myself on someone I love. Yeah. And this is the beauty of having these four different parts of ourselves because we can hold ourselves in a safe place. We can do that, but we have to be able to do that level of work in order to be able to change our patterns. Yeah. And for that, it's also important to know yourself, to, to, to kind of study yourself in different situations and who are you and so that you can learn, okay, this is me in this situation. This is me in that situation. Do I like that? And then do I want to change something and, and bring exactly. some other character inside, right? Right. And, you know, creating healthy boundaries is really important. Mm -hmm. And if we are routinely hurt by someone where it is our automatic response to lash out, then let our character one come online and say, you know, every time we get together, it gets ugly. And you just know my buttons. You push them so well. I let you push them. I put them right out for you to push them. And you do. And this is the dance that we do. And so character one comes in and says, Jill, I'm going to make it so that you and that person are not together very often. We're going to protect ourselves. And that's called a healthy boundary. And that's important. And then at the same time, in the peacefulness of being in the absence of that person, let, let's explore little character two, but I'm taking responsibility for my own pain and for my own lashing out and my own need for little character two to just yell and push you away because you're not a safe place. So character one comes in and says, we're going to put a separation. We're not going to put you two together. And if that means that we sacrifice the family Thanksgiving dinner, then okay, you know, that's okay. We don't have to feel obligated to people who we trigger and who trigger us all the time with that. If nobody's willing to do the, the work of exploration and finding peace. So, um, uh, you know, finding our own way, the only way we can do that is to differentiate the different parts of who we are 
analyze using that beautiful character one, come in with the love and openness and gratitude for life and the gift of life as character four, and then the little playful self of our character three. And let's say you and I are siblings and we are going to meet at mom's house for dinner and inevitably you and I are going to start squabbling. Well, maybe you and I could actually both differentiate our four characters and we could try to play together. And we can learn to do things either as both character ones or character threes or fours, but to really try to work together. Otherwise, we're pretty much on our own in how we observe. You know, if you're just going to come at me and you're not going to change and you're going to keep pushing the bear, push the bear, then I can step into my little character three and say, that's how my sister is. And character one can come in and say, Okay, I don't have to, you know, sit next to you. I don't have to spend, I can go to the other room. I can, you know, take care of things as best as I can. And in the big picture, it's just like recognize that you're in pain. And because you're in pain all the time, you're trying to get me to be in my pain. And it's like, it's a holiday and I'd really rather not be in all that pain right now and put everybody else in our pain. I love, I love how you explain this. It's truly amazing. I I had two experiences. Um, one was with my 30s, like my hormones were really changing my mood. And then I had a little um, stroke in my ear that, uh, so I lost my hearing. And so I discovered how much our brain fills in the gap. And so I realized, gosh, I cannot trust everything that I feel, that I think, or my emotions, because there's the hormones, we, the women are driving us crazy sometimes. And then in my case, for example, I know that I don't, everything that I hear might not be what I'm really, what people are really telling me, you know. Interesting. So how to navigate, um, especially for women, you know, when hormones go wild and you still don't know yourself to know that this is just a, a little trip that you're part of you is taking. Right. So, yeah. Well, I, I think that, that you hit it. It's it's a matter of recognizing, you know, I'm I'm a cellular creature and my cells communicate with chemicals. And some of those chemicals are neurotransmitters and some of those chemicals are hormones. And, you know, I when I went through when I went through menopause and I did the hot flash thing, I found it fascinating to just observe where did it begin and how did it grow into the explosion and was there anything i could do to shift it away so that i could catch it early and dissipate it or i could uh, uh change the way that it exploded change it at all so instead of just you know sweating and sweating and sweating and, and complaining about it and and being irate about it all uh i really found it fascinating this is a part of me this is a part of who i am and um as i watch other women go through menopause uh, in particular, watching the the potential for rage, or the which is is a, a moment of releasing my control of anything and just spewing myself out into the world, and 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 really in watching how different women manage their fear, manage their hostility, manage uh, uh, their children manage their spouses, manage their own self-care, 
Um, and we do have, we're making choices all the time. And, and I can push myself, push myself, push myself into worry, 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 or rage, 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 or I can actually step back and say, I'm going to the bathtub because that's where I self self nurture the best, right? I'm just bringing in my music. I'm turning down the lights. I'm putting on the candles. I'm putting in the Epsom salts and goodbye world, right? And if that means that uh, my 18 year old needs to feed himself, then that's what that means today, honey. Yeah, I love it because <laughs> it's, in, yeah, it's, it's knowing yourself and having the yeah. tools to deal with each part of you. Yeah, and and to deal some that doesn't sound good, but to just help you, you know, to to have the best experience possible with whoever shows up. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, and and to and to be able to say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. My stress level is just I'm managing so much, and I apologize for leap for whatever it was that I may have done that violated the energy space of another. Um, so, so it's like, okay, if I do get triggered, being able to, to say to the rest of the family, you know, I'm so sorry, I pushed it off and as long as I could, and it was just that final button. And, um, uh, you know, this is why I, I tend to not jumping down about family reunions you know, or whatever it is, right? I, I just, my mother-in-law just drives me out of my mind, you know? I mean, it's just like I, I just had my last neuron. I just, I just, sorry. But being able to apologize for, for oneself and taking responsibility for the energy you bring, whatever it is. And if, if it is positive, great. If it is negative, you know, let be aware. It's just a matter of differentiating who am I and what am I doing with me in the world? Yeah. And I think even some some people, when some of these emotions come out, they're so strong that they cannot even do it themselves. So it's also good to know when it's so much that you need help from outside and then you yeah. won't find it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And finding tools, you know, um, yeah. studies show that if if people um, are blowing their gasket of their little character to pain, uh, 20 minutes, walk away for 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, it's plenty of time then for you people to re-engage couples. If couples were put together and they were beginning a fight uh, and you separate them for 20 minutes, then when they got back together again, there was plenty of time for them to each decide, I'm not going back into that fight. I want something else. Uh, so, you know, just getting to know what are we, we don't have to, we don't have to run on automatic. We don't, we, we have the ability to observe, differentiate, make choices in who and how we want to be and and that's real freedom uh when you when you reach that level of of awareness and ability and i think the other beautiful story that that i think is and i haven't heard much of it from you uh, from what i read from you was that eight years of recovery is a long time mm -hmm. and i know a lot of people that they give up even when it's one year or where they have to rehabilitate something simple like a shoulder or like an elbow right. and so what draw and I and I think your curiosity is for me so amazing, you know. And but what drove you to keep working on your recovery for so long and not giving up and not just saying, "Well, this is it," and I'm gonna just right. stay. Oh, possibility, you know. It uh, uh, if we focus on what we can't do, 
then we give all the power to what we can't do. And then we're defeated. Um, so I kept the focus on what could I do? And oh, okay, so I have a problem with with balance because my right side was paralyzed. And it was like, okay, put a put a water bottle in that. And and can I what can I do with the water bottle? And then can I push swing the water bottle from the right hand into the left hand? And then and then can I throw it from the left hand back into the right hand and catch it? You know, so it, so it was always the possibility of of the next thing and and never feeling discouraged for what I couldn't do, but really celebrate, oh, my gosh, what I could do. So if I still had had, uh, you know, if I if I didn't have language, uh, if I, you know, was a lump of lead in the bed, then, you know, that's where it all began was okay, well, well, I can't, I can't move. Okay. So, but can I try, I can try to move. And, and I could feel that internally that, that trying to, that trying to rock, just, just the little rock. And and then can I rock that way and a little rock and, and then I'll rock and, and then, and then I'm rocking, right. And then I'm rocking and then I'm mastering rocking, right. It's like, oh, then I'm the master of rocking. And it's exhausting. All of it is constant and exhausting. And and so it has to be balanced with sleep and and good nutrition and uh, but plenty of sleep and and really focusing on okay, well, well, what comes after rocking? You know, once you've mastered rocking, and you can't go to the next level of anything until you've mastered it. You have to have mastery. So if I might just be rocking for a long time and I'm not getting anywhere else because I have to master rocking but even in that mastery of just rocking i'm now mastering rocking which i couldn't do at all before right and then and then eventually once you rock what comes after you rock roll right you gotta rock and you gotta roll and so then you start rocking and then you start like start the roll and then you start the roll and then you start you start rolling up and you don't just sit up right you gotta you gotta master the roll and so i'm rocking and i'm rocking and then eventually I, I sit up and then I fall back down. I was like, whoa, and then I'm exhausted and I have to go back to sleep again, you know? So it's not the focus on what I can't do. It's the focus on what I can do. And how do I take these little baby steps that it takes to get to anything that requires some next level of mastery? I love it. Yeah. And I think I have some people close to me um, who has gone through a, a stroke in their on their recovery path. So I think uh, I will tell them to listen to this podcast and, and hear you and follow you so that they get also inspiration. And I think when you see the possibilities, even from other people, you know, it, it keeps you if you if you lose a little bit the drive, it's good to know that other people have done it and it kind right. of like motivation, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, if, if, if you, if you can't just, you can't just sit up if yeah. it takes five steps to get to sitting up. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so you have to be willing, you know, you don't walk before you crawl and before you rock and roll and roll over. I mean, what yeah. does a baby do? They have to go through these steps. And so, so we have to start at the beginning again. And it's like, you know, oh my God, I didn't die that day. They didn't die that day, or they wouldn't be here bemoaning the fact that they can't do whatever it is they can't do. No, you're alive. You're alive. Right now you have potential. You yeah. might not have mastery, but you have the potential for mastery. So that's up to you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's an inspiration for sure. And 
going back to the four characters and thinking about personality types, I don't know if you made a match with, you know, there's all these personality types of Myers-Briggs and, and the five elements and, you know, m more things that people come up with. So, and some of them, they say, you know, you are, you are this way. That's it, you know, and you have this tendency. Yes, you have the other tendencies, but this is your strong tendency and that's it. And from your, from what you tell, it sounds like you can always change. And I love that. I love to think that way more. But um, what is your perception of these personality types? What do they have to do with our four characters? So, um, you know, well, the world of psychology is a great tool of looking at behavior and characterizing and categorizing and organizing and looking for patterns. Um, and, you know, uh, I have a lot of experience with Myers-Briggs because my dad was um, uh, a temperament typer. Uh, he did that for corporations. Um, so, it all began for me, the conflict when I was 18 and my dad first gave me the Myers-Briggs test and, and I came out an INTJ and I said, and which is the scientist. And yeah, that was true about my brain. And I said to dad, yeah, that's true when I'm working, but when I'm playing, I'm an ESFP, which is an exact opposite. It was the entertainer. So I flipped from I to E, N to S, T to F and J to P. So, okay. And so it was like, okay, so that didn't work for me. Um, I've studied the Enneagram. Um, I've read several books um, that, that uh, works less for me, but it's been around for eons of time. So something's going on there. Right. Um, and, um, uh, and then there are all these other different uh, ways of looking at the brain. Um, IFS, uh, internal family systems, is the first one and really pretty much the only one that divides the brain up into parts. Uh, but a lot of those parts are actually uh, character one and character two parts and divide character two up into multiple parts because character two is very complex. No question about it. And character two needs has different forms of pain. It's got pain. It's got pain. It's got fear. It's got anger. It's got victimization it's got all these things um and so so that kind of speaks a little bit to whole brain living um but the beauty of whole brain living is it's uh, a simple model based on the anatomy of the brain um and it it you know just debunks a few very specific uh myths that we function in our society one we only use 10 percent. no if it's alive and it's in your head you're using it uh, the other is that the right brain's emotional, the left brain's thinking rational. No, they're both emotional. Yes, left thinking rational is that character one, but we also have thinking tissue in the character four, bigger picture. Um, so it's just simply based on the anatomy of the brain, and that's why I like it. And And it gets to be really fun. So when we dig deeper into it, it's like, just think about music. Um, songs, songs that people write are an example of our four characters. So, you know, a great character, one song is I did it my way, right? I did it my way. It's all about me, right? I did it my way. Um, a little character two song is, um, you and me against the world. 
Sometimes it feels like you and me against the world, right? A whole bunch of character two songs, right? All about the pain. Character yeah. three, here's my favorite, is um, uh, a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key, right? It, I mean, it's about, I got this and you got that and we're going to go play together, right? Yeah. Uh, and then character four, what a wonderful world. Yeah. What a wonderful world, right? Yeah. Uh so as we look, and then there are songs that are character two pain being held by character four love. Mm. Um, you know, uh, so so they start getting, and then there are songs that are just, you know, really character one that's a whole bunch of details and a whole bunch of data and, and they're fun to sing and like the ABC song. Um, you know, so 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 then you start looking at movies and in every movie, you're going to find a character one, two, three, and four. And they become so obvious. And even in cartoons, children love the four characters. Even in SpongeBob, can, they can name the four characters in SpongeBob. Look at Harry Potter series. You can ask any teenager who's character one once they've learned the four characters. And everybody's going to say, Hermione. Of course, she's the one, she's the bookworm, she's going to study it, she's going to practice it, she's going to get it right, she's going to teach the others, right? Um, uh, who are the character fours? They'll tell you. Um, so who's character two? Everybody knows who the villain is, right? Um, so then you start looking at your world and you realize, oh my God, we are projecting our four characters into the world all the time. And when you think about even Carl Jung, Carl Jung's four archetypes, primary archetypes land perfectly on the four characters of the brain, except mm -hmm. in his world, character one is the rational thinker. And that's the only one that's conscious. Our two mm -hmm. emotional systems are subconscious, as is character four, which is when we take the, the hero's journey, the mm -hmm. ultimate goal is to that self-awareness, that achievement, and then the question of, do I go back or do I keep this for myself and go back? Or do I keep this for myself and stay gone? And as you look at different religions of the world, they are all different of the four characters. So four characters are everywhere and it makes sense because it's based on the anatomy of our brain. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. And I and it's helped actually some people, I, I have the, the mother of a friend who had um, who has a tumor and so her, her left side was inflamed uh, you know it's just an inflammation of the meningitis and so her right was the only one awake you know and so she had this experience of wholeness and so when they were telling me i told them your story you have to read this book i told them you know because it explains what yeah. is happening in the right. terms of how you feel and right. so it helped them understand what she was going through and when her left brain woke up then she had a very hard time because then, you know, sadness and negativity came on and then she had a right. hard time, you know, so she went right. through a little struggle. But it helped her a lot to understand, you know, from yeah. what you explained in the book. So it was really helpful for them. Good. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful example. And and it is hard when that little character too, sadness and woe is me comes online because because we have been wounded and it it wants to protect us and and by it protects us by constricting us and making us stronger and in our sadness 
we explore less in our our anger or our fear we explore less so where our whole world becomes constricted and pessimistic and it's like mm, it's important but it's important to be heard but it's important to know that this is just a part of our brain and that we have three other really healthy parts to ourselves so how do we how do we how do we use those other three parts to pull ourselves out of our own misery uh, but really quickly i i as you mentioned i do stained glass and if i'm feeling any kind of sadness or any kind of of you know woe is me or lethargy i just go into my art space and i just start creating order it doesn't matter what i do there the feeling of the space, the color of the glass, the textures of the glass, it just pulls me into possibility and I automatically feel better. So that's, I actually use that as a tool uh, when I feel the need to uh, rescue myself from, from my own, yeah. Now that doesn't mean it's not okay for me to go miser go be miserable for a while, but these emotions are meant to be lessons, not a lifestyle. And it's yeah. really important to me and to everybody that we realize the goal is is to learn from this pain, uh, not to just live in it and and die and breathe in it. Yeah, in coaching we use cards that are pictures that are artistic because it pulls people out of their thinking brain into the more, you know, artistic openness connection. And then once you pull the picture and the drawing or or a drawing then it, they connect to something else and they disconnect from the, you know, the excuses and the reasons right. or whatever right. their mind is right. thinking. Of. And so it really helps. Yeah. 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 Nice. I, I will talk to you for hours, but I know I want to be respectful of your time. I'm going to make sure that everybody reads your book <laughs> Thank in, you. in Spanish too. I think the work that you do is amazing and it's been a pleasure, you know, and, and um, I'm going to be following you and, and studying this and, and hopefully helping other people to understand this better. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're so pleasure. welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>